On this episode, we talk about interactive panels, learning environments, and AV fails. All that and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech episode 102, Failures and Foibles. Hello, AV friends, and welcome to another episode of the EdTech podcast. Today, I have with me, as always, an awesome panel of higher ed AV professionals. So we have Ernie Bailey. Hi, Ernie. Hello. How is everybody? Hanging in there. <laughs> and we also have with us Rob Raspberry. Hi, Rob. Hey, Aaron. How's everything going? Good as can be. And last but not least, Scott Tyner. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, Aaron. Thanks for thanks for having me. And um, hey to Ern- Ernie and Rob. Well, all right. Today we have um, three articles that we we were uh, we all took a look at, and we're going to start off with one from Commercial Integrator. It's uh, Samsung. Interactive displays help transform classrooms at Stevenson Institute of Technology. Um, these are some really interesting uh, panels. Uh, do you guys have have you guys had any um, experience with using them or demoing them or in your in rooms on your campuses? So I guess I'll I'll jump in on the positive side of this, so to speak. So. When the pandemic hit, we went straight from face-to-face to online, just like everybody else in a matter of days and scrambling around. And then we had to think about the return to campus format. And basically what we came up with is we needed something that was versatile, um, had a lot of features, but also enabled um, you know, remote learning and hybrid learning. And what we came up with essentially was what we call our high flex carts, which is a 63 or 80 inch display we decided to go interactive to sort of give it the virtual whiteboard that kind of thing on there and then they had a you know a a video soundbar with it on a cart that allowed it to be wheeled between rooms and um so we went with the interactive displays as well because we were able when we opened up zoom we could uh from the display do control functions and and the faculty just they just gravitated it. They loved it. Um, And then sort of down the road, we were thinking, okay, well, you know, we can hopefully get our faculty to start using these as whiteboards, you know, virtual, you know, electronic whiteboards and sort of, you know, hopefully move some of them away from uh, the whiteboards that are typically in the classrooms. And of course, haha, we know how that turned out. But one of the good things about it is that we are getting more and more inquiries about how these displays work, how these smart interactive displays work. The, um, I would say the usage isn't quite where we want it to be yet, but we find that a lot of the younger professors, younger instructors who are sort of tech savvy are really taking to it and it's taking some more time. So we're not quite there, but, you know, we have a, a, between the NECs and the Samsung flips, we've been getting a pretty good response to it. Rob, I've got a question for you on that. Uh, you say you've, you've put the interactive boards on a mobile stand. 
how does that work? Because when we've tried doing that in the past, the stability is not there for the display. Interesting. So we use the, um, I think it's a peerless, uh, and it's it's an adjustable uh, stand. I'll have to go back and look at the model number, and it's got a very wide base. It is extremely stable. Mm -hmm. And what's great is it's adjustable. So if you have a tall instructor, they can raise it up uh, to their height. If, if, if the instructor is not tall, they can bring it down. It works really, really well. It's been very stable. I know way, way back, like years ago, they had these things and you would put a large display on it and it was just sort of shaky. But these uh, peerless mounts, which we got through Legrand, they have been fantastic. So I'll see if I can, you know, find the model number and send it to you because okay. they've been great. You can wheel them into small spaces between classrooms. They've been fantastic. Okay, yeah, I've got several, you know, mobile displays very much like what you talked about with the uh, video soundbar on them. So they're quick and easy to use for Zoom or any other conferencing tool. But I, we have not used any interactive ones for that reason. Because, you know, when you start writing on it, it moves. So Rob, I actually am curious as well, Rob. Do you use these mostly in small kind of seminar classrooms? Yeah, so small to medium. Um, you know, one thing that you can do in a larger, uh, a medium-sized classroom is you, we can take these displays and put them in into the input switcher on the on the podium, and then we can put them out to the other displays in the classroom so that all the students can see. But mainly, it is for small. You know, it could be anywhere from twenty-five to fifty students uh, in the classroom. And again, we bought like I guess about twenty or thirty of these with video audio bars. And essentially, what it became was a mobile station that technically an instructor could just put their PowerPoint up, display it up. If they needed to go into Zoom, we had them integrated into Zoom rooms. They would switch modes, connect, and teach their classes or have a guest speaker and teach remotely. So, so they've really, at least for what we were uh, trying to do and accomplish, they've worked very well. Yeah, we actually, we put together about 15 like carts with um, the flip panels on them also with uh, like a Zoom cart situation and they did oh you know during the pandemic they did get decent usage and we were like yes we we did it now we're gonna you know we got this interactive thing going and but then we found yeah once everyone was back in the classroom they really didn't use the interactive part of it nearly as much as we had hoped um and so I don't know if maybe that's part of just a pedagogy type thing that maybe it, as it becomes more integrated into teaching styles that it might get a little more, uh, a little more use. Um, the one thing that I was thinking about though, is I wonder if, um, as opposed to having like the large panel at the front of the room that someone would write on as if it was a whiteboard. Um, if the like smaller, um, like almost tablet size interactive board would um, like at, that would be maybe in like podium mounted at the front of the room so that instructors would be still facing their students while using the board. Um, I wonder if those would be a little more 
likely to be used? We we do those, Aaron, uh, in a lot of our classrooms. We just purchased the Dell Interactive Monitor with our computers. Uh, turns out it's like 3 or $4 more than the same size standard display. That really surprised me. Uh, so, you know, if you're buying a monitor anyway, it's not that much more to make it uh, an interactive one or, a, you know, write on. And I got a lot of faculty who really like that. And then they'll, you know, they'll move into a room that doesn't have one and be surprised. So Interesting. I like that, hearing then that. that. Then, then I get funding to get that room upgraded. So Way to turn that into a positive for your team. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we will move on to an article uh, from uh, ravepubs.com. It is another fantastic article written by Scott Tyner, um, Learning Spaces. Um, do you want to um, intro this one, Scott? Well, you all, you all are, the, are the ones who inspire these, these, these pieces here. And it's funny that it comes right after the interactive panel. <laughs> Uh, because one of the things I sometimes think about is that uh, there are, if you even if you include faculty, I think there there the people that hold our roles know more about the classrooms, know more about how they're actually used. We see them in use, we respond to problems, um, so we know classrooms really well. One of the things I, I think, at least in my experience, is that. Uh, the overall environment is what's even more important than the technology that's put in it. So the flat, the interactive flat panels, we've tried many, many different versions of interactive flat panels. Um, and just, they've never just, they've been used or taken off on our campus. Um, and I, and I think about some of my own experiences in, in the classroom and it, for me, very little of it, uh, was about using technology. Um, and a lot of it was about moving around, talking with different people. And I think there, there are some departments and some um, disciplines that might really lend towards sh putting shared stuff up like in a, in a, um, uh, an active learning classroom. Uh, but again, a lot of the active learning classrooms we have on campus just don't get used as real interactive um, learning classrooms. So for me, it's really about what is the furniture like? What is the ability to get up and move around? Like one of the things that matters a lot for classrooms that I see is space, just ability to feel like you don't, you're not cramped into to one small space. Um, and so furniture and really thinking holistically about a classroom and what works and what doesn't work. Um, and even though we're all in the AV world, um, not always focusing just on technology. I wish that the teams from like facilities and real estate and when they're doing these projects on classrooms that they would consult like our department. Usually the AV department is brought in at the very end and they're like, oh yeah, that stuff. Um, but you're right. Like the actual environment itself just really can change a, a, you know, the, how a class is taught and how the students can absorb the, the information. Well, and we could put the technology in to complement the way the furniture is, is arranged and designed. You know, do we need distributed sound? Do we need to put a speaker over each table, you know, for an act, especially for an active learning center? 
and what Scott was talking about, when we designed our first uh, active learning space, I was on a committee of 10 of us, and we had about 25 chairs brought in. And we played musical chairs. We all moved around, sat down, tried to you know see how long we could sit in a chair and be comfortable uh, to decide what would be best for that space. And we played with different table sizes. But that, you know, while I've been involved in furniture for the classrooms in the past, never to that extent. And we really got serious about it. And it's kind of directed some of our other spaces as well now. Even even the rooms with uh, fixed furniture, the lecture halls and stuff, we're looking at, you know, chairs that can rotate, you know, 270 degrees and swing, swing around so you can join the built-in table behind you uh, and have little mini uh, team-based sessions going on uh, in those spaces. But yeah, I think, I don't think you can really separate the technology from the furniture uh, if you're wanting to make a successful classroom. Yeah, I would argue that probably one of the um, greatest inventions or whatever you want to call it that in, in the time that I've been in, in this field is the node chair. Uh, that to go from a regular tablet armchair to the node chair, I don't, I, I'm assuming everybody's kind of seen the node chair, the little kind of round thing that it's a tablet armchair, but it's all wheels and it's comfortable and it rolls and there's a place to put your bag underneath. It's like, it, how many times have somebody designed a room and they put these big, heavy tables and these big, heavy chairs and like, well, you can move it around if you want. Nobody's ever moving that room around. Uh, but the node chair was like, oh, okay, yeah. here we can. We can actually meet them up face to face too. The problem we get into with those, Scott, is when we have camera presets for uh, <laughs> learning. So you can point a, a camera at a certain student, uh, you know, tie it to a microphone call button. It doesn't work when you put those node chairs out there. We we have some of those uh, on uh, in some of our classrooms, uh, and they're becoming more popular. You know, we were trying to get away from the tablet arm chairs because they're just a nightmare to move, to arrange, to build your technology around. It's interesting because uh, recently we've been looking at trying to find that perfect balance because you have the classrooms that look great and the tech stinks or the tech is amazing and the room is just depressing as all get out and it's uncomfortable you can't the students are you know struggling with that so you know we're we're, we're looking at different types like furniture that is like uh sturdy but light and you can it raises up and down and you can move it around easily into your focus groups or study groups but then you can easily wheel it and do it in a typical you know, standard classroom setting, um, you know, going just quickly back to the interactive displays, that's really an added feature at this point. You know, the main thing is that the, the instructors be able to teach if they use the interactive whiteboard, that's great. If they don't, the, the display can work normally as it does on its own. But, you know, Scott, that article is so great because it's an environment. It is the it's encompassing, like you said, the technology, the, the, the furniture, the ambience, the lights, if the lights stink in a room, if you can't see, you know, the board or it's in your eyes, that's not good for learning. So you're absolutely right. Another, another wonderful article. Yeah. Rob, like you brought up something that I had, had just written down to lighting. Lighting is one of those things that I feel like is an afterthought. If a room has any sort of, um, like, 
distinct control or zoning at all. Um, it's usually done terribly um, and with potentially no real thought as to how how the zones are laid out. And then it's just terrible lighting to begin with. Just the color temperature is tends to be more sterile almost like not a warming environment it's just you walk into a room and it's like i'm in a cement box this is yeah. lovely and it's yeah. not conducive to learning and then you know they'll the facilities people will buy whatever lamps they can get on sale and you have four different color temps in your room Oh gosh! And they say light is light, you know. <laughs> yeah, or how about the uh, the HVACs that make noise? Yes, and you get complaints nonstop from the faculty of how come those speakers are making noise? It's like it's not the speaker that's making noise. Right. Uh, it just every it's an environment, and it's amazing right. how all these things tie in. Um, and on on occasion, we get lucky. We have something that goes just right with an entire building. And we're involved from start to finish, but there's economics at play. And you need, when you build the building, you got to put as many classrooms and as many offices in there as you can. And um, so it doesn't always work out the way we want, um, but it is, it, it's crazy. All the little things that, um, that can take place. And then there's always the conversations of aesthetics. Like, does it look good? Like, well, it sure, it but sure, there should be a balance. Like, it should look good, but it also should be comfortable and usable. And, you know, everybody should, yeah. it should work <laughs> as opposed to just, it looks nice. Yeah, it, it's just, it, it's amazing. And I, I know, again, my experiences are, are different. They might be uh, graduate school or whatever, but the, the, a room that's designed in a way that if you have to get up and go to the bathroom or even with it now with COVID and everybody sneezes in a room and everybody looks at you, you're going to get out and go cough. Like you don't have to interrupt to the entire room to scoot out of your way as you try to get through tables and chairs and hit them in the head with a backpack and do this room to get up and leave and then come back. Absolutely. I think um, there was recently a uh, a master plan for classrooms. They did an assessment of rooms and I've yet to be privy to that information with, but I can't wait to see what they're, they, they're, what they come up with. But I think that a lot of the information that could potentially come out of that is that the sizes of the rooms, because there are so many um, of these small rooms and then there's so many of these really large lecture halls and it's like so many of the classes actually kind of need to be in the middle um, so that, but they're always like trying to cram as many chairs in because they, you know, they want to have people, you know, be able to support lots of students in a classroom. But if there's not enough space, then yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see what sorts of ideas ideas might come out of that and how they can solve some of these issues. Yeah, that would be interesting. I think actually one of the proposals potentially might be uh, to join two rooms together. Uh, if they're two small rooms, they happen to be next to each other, just knock down the wall in the middle and make it one larger space, um, which is an excellent idea. 
except for the fact that there's already so many classes that they're trying to schedule into these spaces that then that's one less room that they can schedule. So it's kind of like trying to keep that balance. Well, that's, that's better than the, uh, we're going to put a partition between these rooms and, you know, just from class to class, they can slide a partition and move chairs around. And it's like, it, whenever somebody talks about partitions, I'm like, no, no, I, yeah. Either the discussion's ending or I'm leaving the room. One of those two things is going to happen. Right. Yeah. That's definitely something that sounds great in theory until there is, it's in use. And then someone's like, yeah, that partition is either going to always be open or always be closed because nobody's going to really want to shuffle it back and forth. Exactly. I've, I've got a room with, or two rooms actually, that are actually large lecture halls are old. 70, 1970s style amphitheaters are real steep and they're both dividable. So, and uh, one of the motors has finally died and is irreplaceable. Uh, they'd have, they'll have to tear off the whole system. It, the wall, the, the partition is three stories tall. So it goes right down the middle? It goes right down the middle. Wow. It's motorized. Oh, it's motorized. It takes somebody with a, with a hand on a key holding it for 95 seconds to do it. Oh, I've uh, never seen it. That seems amazing yeah, to me. It, it's, a big, it's a big wooden wall. It's actually got insulation inside it for sound absorbing. Uh, but uh, like I said, one of them has died and now the room is no longer dividable. Now, is it is it closed open or, or is it like stuck open or stuck? It's in the open position and the other one is questionable. So it, we may leave it in the open or maybe in the closed position once it finally uh, fails. <laughs> but, you know, that room is no longer schedulable the way it was. Uh, but, yeah, I, we do not like partitions. They're, they're nothing but trouble. You have me fascinated, Ernie. I want to see a video of this room. Uh, seriously. <laughs> Again, field trip. Yeah. We need to do, we need to do a field I trip. We, I think we ought to hit each of our sites. That sounds like a good idea. I agree. Yep. We'll hit Scott in the, at the end of the spring semester, right? Or the beginning of the fall semester. <laughs> you might, yeah, fall would be very nice or, or uh, early, early midsummer would be a little, you don't want to be up here in uh, January. I can guarantee you. <laughs> Although Rob's not that far. He, he understands. Get, get, go for the good weather. <laughs> right. We already just kind of uh, hit upon an AV fail, but the uh, the last w article that we uh, took a look at, which wasn't really much of, much of an article, but it was basically um, a commercial integrator was um, did a call for AV fails, and uh, you know to send in them some some photos or you know stories of various fails of this year um what is your uh favorite or worst av fail that you've encountered i can't match the ones that are in that article they're pretty darn good i mean <laughs> yeah. you know it, it, it it's like some of the, the, the some of the worst things i run into is you know you walk in your podium's not powered up what's going on the instructor says i didn't do anything i didn't touch anything nothing's going on nothing's working and you're trying to look at wires and everything. And then you realize they shut the power off on the AC strip at the back of the 
podium. Somehow they got to that. But the ones in this article, I don't know if there's any way to put a link up for it. That projector duct tape one is beautiful. I, you know, I got to hand it. That's ingenuity right there. And a lawsuit waiting to happen. But yes. (laughs) One that we had here, it doesn't really fit into these types of installs. But in the early days of whiteboards, we had a new research an education building go up and they put a projection screen right in front of a whiteboard saying the instructors can raise and lower the screen when they want to write on the whiteboard. Well, within the first 45 minutes, somebody forgot, someone had a white screen and forgot that it wasn't a whiteboard and had used a green marker to mm-hmm. write their notes. It, it's crazy what people do. We, ours, ours wouldn't fit in one of those pictures either, but we, trying to make this, this is actually a, a long story that I'll make very short if I can, is we have a, a field house that we would do dinners in or presentations. Like we would always be hiring companies to come in and do stuff. So we put a projector in it and the projector, we had to be put on an elevator lift to come up and down out of the ceiling. And um, so we actually had to hire a company to, to weld it up there and to create a little structure to put it on. So they showed up to, to do it and they've got a big man lift to bring them up there. So there's two guys and the whole apparatus is on it. And it, the, the man lift won't move, it, it's too heavy. So one of the guys gets off. The other guy starts lifting, going up on it. This other dude starts climbing up the side of the man lift as it's going up <laughs> in order to get back into the basket. And at, at that point, I was like, no, I, I'm, I'm actually leaving. I'm not having any part of watching this uh, because we'll all be fine and sighted. Then five years. So we spent, I mean, as you can tell, we spent, that was probably a $10,000 installation right there just for the projector. So five years later, we go in to the field house to set up for an event that's coming on. And uh, we had done such a good job of, of putting this in the ceiling and hiding it that uh, the baseball team had come in and put up batting cages and the projector couldn't come down anymore. <laughs> so after all of this, we now have like a $10,000 projector up in the ceiling that won't come down. And the question is, which is cheaper? Now to take all the batting cage stuff back down to do something different, uh, it's uh, it's fun. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that is a classic example of nobody talking to anybody else <laughs> before right. going ahead and doing something like that. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I I don't have at least not this year. We've well, it, we haven't done a whole lot of installs this year. So, um, but we did have one of those uh, nothing's working in this room situations. And what it somehow the um, the floor box that the podium was plugged into lost power. And so we were just like, what's going on? And uh, ended up plugging it into a power strip and plugging it in elsewhere in the in the classroom, totally working great for now, you know, put in a ticket with facilities. And then like the next day, get a call from the room and they're like, nothing's working. And we're like, what is going on? Somebody had gone and replugged it back into the floor box and took away the, the fix and without it actually being fixed. So like, Oh, that's a, definite fail <laughs> yeah that that's a uh you gotta think about what you're doing a little more huh <laughs> yeah i i mean it's always the people that they think they're being helpful like by turning off 
the the power in the podium and stuff like that and yeah no amount of no <laughs> put right next to that switch is still apparently way too tempting for those who are i guess power conscious they want to we, we had a rack in one of our spaces once and for some reason it was it was uh after hours we didn't use a lot and students would use a lot and they no matter what we did to this rack people would find ways to turn stuff off to take so we had a, a person that worked and might have been um not always the the um say things the best way so he wrote a note and it like went right down the rack it was like unless you have 25 years of av experience do not big use others do not touch <laughs> and actually it was effective people stopped touching it <laughs> maybe that's the maybe that was my my no was a little too brief so maybe next time i'll have to Make a bit bigger of a of a, a statement. It's like a low low tech solution to a high tech problem. You yeah. know, sometimes the simplest thing works the best. Yeah. <laughs> we we had a situation in the early days of networking. We had an instructor who needed to show some animation he had on his computer in his office, which was several buildings over. And this was back in the early days of jazz and zip drives, and. We could not fit his information on a jazz drive. All we could do was we did have new networking run from our education building all the way back over to his building and his office in the research building. We did a test of it the night before we knew how long it took to download and get everything connected. Came in the next morning. He had an eight o'clock lecture. We had left everything connected, could not log into his machine. Spent 15 minutes. He finally just said, I can give this lecture with no images. He sat down on the floor of the stage and gave a 90-minute lecture to his students. It was beautiful. Did a great job of it. <laughs> when he got through, he said, let's try this again so in case I want to do it again. And it worked perfectly. Well, we yeah. spent a half day trying to figure out what was wrong. The next morning, we figured it out in that the there, we, this was before network closets. And there was a network hub. You know, before before switches, we had a hub, and it was set up at a, a business administrator's office. And she came in at nine o'clock in the morning, but when she left at night, she turned off her power strip. <laughs> so there was no network connection anywhere into her building. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole lot of power <laughs> to yes. give someone. She, she thought she was being very efficient and doing what she was supposed to be doing. Turned out like that she. Turned off her power strip so she wasn't drawing power. Well, nobody was getting network. But back in those days, no one knew they weren't getting network, you know? Well, this was this has been very fun. Yeah. <laughs> right? What a, what a fun, light way to uh, end our discussion for the day. So uh, thank you so much, guys, for uh, joining us again for another installment of EdTech. And... Uh, Ernie, how can people get in touch with you? You can usually find me on LinkedIn. That's the best way. And Rob, how about you? What Ernie said, LinkedIn. And Scott? Uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. All right. And as for me, you can find me on LinkedIn also and um, on Twitter at smearing underscore off underscore ice. And again, thank you so much. Uh, this has been fun. Until next month.